I want to begin this morning. I told you that it was an interactive morning when we started with worship. Will you please raise your hand if you were here last week for last week's sermon? Please raise your hand. Hope it up. Just keep it up. Kind of look around a little bit. Okay, uh, you can let your hand down now. I am going to start this morning with an interactive pop quiz from last week. From last week's message, true or false, the, the New Testament... The traditional New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. True or false? Begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. True or false? It's true. It begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go grab a Bible. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I really wasn't trying to make a trick question out of it, but apparently I did. (laughs) True or false? Those books have always been in that order. Thank you. There we got it. They've not always been in that order. Let me ask you a question. The epistles of Paul, Paul's writings, are arranged in the New Testament in one of four ways. They're alphabetical, they're top to bottom, they're in the same way that they were written, or they're in the longest to shortest. Longest to shortest. When was the order... uh, um, Blah, 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 blah. When was the order of the New Testament established? Wow, someone was really good. They were paying attention last week. I like this. Um, chapters and verses have always been part of the letters of the New Testament. Yes or no? False. No. Um, one quarter of the New Testament was written by who? Trick. Now, this is a trick question, okay? Because one quarter was written by someone of 69 chapters and somebody else wrote 75 chapters. Who wrote the 69 chapters? Who wrote that? I love it. Luke. Luke. Luke wrote uh, Luke and Acts. That works out to be about 65 chapters. So that he's there. And then Paul wrote a little bit more. Uh, so between Paul and, and Luke, over half of the New Testament was written. Um, when Luke wrote his letters of, uh, true or false, when Luke wrote his letters of Luke and Acts, he was writing them to his grandmother. Who was he writing them to? Theophilus. Somebody told me the other, last week, uh, Deanne Jesse said she remembers a, a pastor getting up and he kept talking about Theophilus, Theophilus, Theophilus. And uh, at the end, uh, another pastor said, I, he, I thought he was talking about your husband, Bob, because he's the Theophilus looking baby I ever saw. <laughs> Oh, that's how you can remember it was Theophilus because it was Theophilus. So we have been, this week we, ran, we read through the book of Luke. Next week, this coming week, we'll be reading through Acts and First and Second Thessalonians. I want to take uh, just a couple of minutes again in the name of interaction and in the name of, I, I believe God speaks to, how many of you believe God speaks to us through his word? This reading through the Bible without chapters and verses is a little bit different. In our men's group, I would say, what stuck out to you? What jumped out at you? I'm going to give you an opportunity here. If anybody has, now I'm going to preach, okay? You can't preach. And that, when you get past a minute or so, I'm going to have our sound guy shut off the microphone. But what jumped out at you? Does anybody have anything you'd like to see? You say, I was reading this week and I've never seen this. This is amazing. Not, not everybody at once. Okay. We're going to just give you a chance, man. Hey, good morning. How you doing? The one thing that stuck out to me was um, Jesus laying his hands on people and praying for them. 
didn't matter what they had. He did. We wasn't afraid of touching them. Amen. He had mentioned in our men's group, even saying when when uh, people had leprosy, Jesus reached out. He wasn't afraid to touch them. Anybody else? Something jump out at you this week, Jeff. When Jesus went and had uh, a meal with with Martha, uh, Martha was busy, and and Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Mary. Has has taken has has grasped a hold of something that's important, and and uh, nothing nothing can take that away from her. She was sitting at his feet, listening to his words. I think that's something that just stands out, has stood out for years, but it stood out again this week, as I as I was reading it. Amen. One more, going once. Come on, some of you, 100 Bibles were taken. Okay, one more. There you go. I was kind of taken away by when they were going through the genealogy um, of man. Um, you know, in John 3.16, it says that uh, God gave his only begotten son. But when they were going through the genealogy, they called Adam being the son of God. And I really wish that they would have gone into a little bit more detail with that. Because like I said, I was, I was taken back by that. Nobody has ever wanted more genealogies. We'll have, we'll have to have a conversation. So I'm, from week to week now, folks, I'm going to ask you to just share. I don't want it to be a big, long time because I'm still going to preach a sermon. That's my right. I get to do that. Um, but um, I think it's important for us to share what God is speaking to us as we read through all of this. So we, again, we've, this week we began reading through um, the Immersed Bible, for those of you who um, don't have one, it, it is a, a Bible written without chapters and verses, so it's a little bit more difficult to find your spot. Um, that's why the, the verses and chapters were in there. However, it really opens up your eyes to be able to read the, the flow of God's Word. Things kind of go together in ways that you, you uh, have not seen them. Now, um, this was a letter, Luke was a letter that was written to Theophilus, was a, a dear friend uh, of Luke. Luke was a doctor. I've reminded myself all week, I'm reading somebody else's mail. Tim, you're reading somebody else's mail. Tim, you're reading somebody else's mail. Sometimes we look at Scripture and we just kind of see it as this book that's been out there forever and ever, amen, and it's not true. The, the, the book did come, the Bible did come into play at some point. These letters were written, and it was written from one person to another. And Luke was writing, he, his friend was a Roman uh, ruler of some sort, we don't know entirely, but his friend had questions about Jesus. I've been hearing about Jesus, I've been hearing about Jesus, what's going on? I can only imagine what Luke's conversation with Theophilus was before, but Theophilus had questions, and so in... Uh, on page 3, paragraph 1, since we don't have chapters and verses, it's actually Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Many people have set out to write the account about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among them from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Luke is saying to Theophilus, I want you to understand, and he's saying to us, if you have questions about 
this Jesus, questions about whether this is true, please read my letter. And I want to reassure you. And in this letter, you're going to find uh, Luke's ideas. You will find things that Old Testament prophets have written. You'll find things that Jesus uh, himself has written and that Luke simply quoted. So in front of us, what we have is this this letter. And this coming week, now we're going to read in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is about the Acts of the Apostles. We find in, in Luke all the things that Jesus did. Then we find in Acts what the Apostles did after Jesus left. And Luke has gone about the same thing. He's writing a letter to his friend to say to his friend, This is what we saw and heard after Jesus left the scene. We'll talk about Acts next week because it's a very, very unique book in history. But this is the immediate history of Jesus. Um, and sometimes you just have to work at discovering what's there. Uh, it's kind of interesting. When we built the building over here, we ran into some problems. We had some things we had to discover. We had to figure out about the building. One of the things we had to figure out, for example, is where the stinking sewer was. And nobody knew where the sewer was. Everybody knew it's over here someplace, but nobody really knew where the sewer was. I spent days out there with a shovel, digging around, digging around. I asked Lonnie. Lonnie was too busy dating Linda at the time. He didn't know where that was. I asked Jim. Jim didn't remember where that was. I asked Jim Hokinson. He didn't know where it was. Nobody, everyone, that's over there. Keep digging, keep digging. You can dig a long ways with a number two shovel to try and find a pipe that's that big around and buried two feet under the ground. You can dig a long ways. It reminded me of that movie Holes. The kids out there digging all these holes. Anyhow, I finally happened to ask Scott Eiley. And Scott's like, oh, yeah, let's well, right out here. We walk outside. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Should be right about there, Pastor. <laughs> Stick the shovel in the ground, and there it was. <laughs> I said, since you know so much about that, can you tell me a couple other things about the building? And he was able to inform me as to why this wall of this old building here, this block wall, that water always ran in this old wall every time it rained because the whole parking lot and everything comes right this way. He was able to tell me why the cement blocks on this wall stopped right at the top of the ground. So every time we got more than a quarter inch of rain, it came in the building. He was able to tell me why that was. Someday I'll share that with you if I feel it's necessary. But right now, what I'm saying is sometimes you need to find people with the answers. And Theophilus was looking for answers. And Luke was the man who was giving him so as we read through the New Testament in the next several weeks, in the next 40 days, we're going to read entirely through the New Testament. What you have to understand is, there is, is that there is a history behind every letter that was written. There's a reason for every letter. Sometimes we know the history. Sometimes we have to dig that up. But there is a, a, a purpose and a reason behind every one. The Bible doesn't just simply exist, and it doesn't exist to simply sit on your shelf. I think the statistics are 93% of all Americans have a Bible sitting on their shelf. You realize that if 93 out of every 100 people actually read this and digested it and took it in, we'd live in a different world, right? It wouldn't be the same as it is today. People wouldn't behave the way they do. They wouldn't talk the way they do. They wouldn't act the way they do. They wouldn't, it'd be a different world. The Bible does not exist simply to collect dust on a shelf. It's not designed to be pretty. Um, you look through my Bible. I've got pages and things underlined and highlighted and scribbled on and notes there. I would encourage you as you go through Immerse, 
what I, what I do with this is uh, every week or every day I get an email that tells me what page we're on. And so I go to that email and I get the audio recording and I take my Bible. Because here's the problem. See, I've read the Bible so many times that I just read through it so quickly. I just skim over stuff. And I'll read for 15 minutes and I'll get done and, ask, and, and finish my last sip of coffee and go, I wonder what I just read. Maybe that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. So I take my Bible and I open it up and then I turn my computer on and I listen to the audio of it. Boom, just like that. God does stuff in my heart. I start to underline things and, and, it, and it speaks to us in that way. As we read through the New Testament, again, please remember that it is alive. As a matter of fact, that's what Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's word will speak to you if you open it up and you read it and you allow it to. I believe that. I share um, a part of this story with you last week, um, my takeaway from the readings, but I I thought to myself, I I really need to share this. So as I narrowed down what we're going to talk about this morning, one of the things that I, that just highlighted, was highlighted to me as I began to read this week, was how much emotion was attached every time somebody speaks about Jesus. Did anybody notice that, or is it just me? Every time somebody talked about Jesus, there's all this emotion that goes with it. Um, we find in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 28, Gabriel, the angel, appeared to Mary. Greetings, favored woman. Woman, The Lord is with you. And look at her response. Confused and disturbed. That emotion? That's emotion, right? Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think, what could the angel mean? Verse 30, do not be afraid. There was some emotion there. She was confused. She was disturbed. She was afraid. Sometimes when God speaks to us, sometimes God confuses us. I'm not sure how to grab a hold of that, God. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 65. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood as the news about what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Awe happens. When I stood up here this morning and I told you that somebody had given money, I believe that they gave that money because God inspired them to because God put that on their heart and what do we do we clap about it woohoo yeah right emotion about God doing stuff in Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 13 I'm, we're going to take a lot of scripture and I'm not going to sp- explain a lot of it and it's all because there's one passage near the end of my message that I want to get to it's a passage that I have stumbled on for over 20 years for over 20 years I've read this passage and every time I read it I walk away thinking I'm not sure what you mean God This week he opened it up. And it all goes along with all these passages. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, suddenly an angel was joined by a vast host of others and the armies of heaven praising God, saying glory to God in the highest peace on earth. A vast number, there's praising going on. There was emotion, right? A little later we see that the shepherds, and we just went through this at Christmas time, we see that the shepherds were terrified and then they were astonished. And I'm going to skip over several places that I underlined. But again, what I want you to understand is that Luke recognized whenever, even from the the time of his birth, from the time of his conception, there was emotion regarding 
uh, regarding Jesus. As a matter of fact, I read from Luke chapter 1 through Luke chapter 11, and it was before, it, I, it was in Luke chapter 11 before I finally opened up two pages right side by side, and I couldn't underline something about emotion that was going on. Somebody was excited, somebody was happy, somebody was mad, somebody was thrilled, somebody was terrified, somebody was... 11 chapters before we get to the point where there's no mention of that. Simeon, at one point in chapter 2, raised his hand in praise to God. Anna, the prophetess, praised God in chapter 2. When Jesus was preaching in a temple at age 12, Mary and Joseph were frantic because they couldn't. Every time people are around Jesus, there's emotion. Luke chapter 4. Verse 32, there too, people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. Once when he was in a synagogue, a man possessed of a demon, an evil spirit cried out. Even the demons cried out. When Jesus was around, even the demons cried out, go away, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, you're the Holy One of God. Even the demons Terrified, were terrified when Jesus was around. Chapter 5, Peter at one point says, Oh Lord, leave me for a sinful man, uh, for I'm a sinful man. And just a verse later, uh, Jesus tells Peter, Don't be afraid, because he's talking to Peter and his friends. And then all of a sudden, Peter and his friends are following Jesus. At one minute, it, Peter's, this, is when, uh, this is when Jesus told Peter to put on his nets. And he, he'd been out all night trying to catch fish. He couldn't catch any fish. Finally, Jesus says, I, I want to preach from your boat and get done preaching. Will you just put out just a little ways and put down your net? And Peter's like, oh, come on, dude. We've been out all night. We never caught any fish. There was never nothing. He's like, you know, the scripture doesn't say it, but you can almost hear Jesus saying, well, just humor me. So he pushes his boat out a little ways and they let down the nets and when they do, all of a sudden, Peter looks at Jesus and Jesus looks at Peter. It's like, well, well. And then all of a sudden, the fish start coming in. And they come in so much that Peter's got to call his buddies from another boat. Read it. If you didn't read it, read it. He calls his buddies from, come on over, it's going to sink my boat. And so they're out, they're out there and they're dragging the fish in and they can't figure out. And Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and he's like, leave me, I'm such a sinful man. Two minutes later, Jesus is like, dude, leave us all behind and come follow me. He's like, all right, let's go. There is emotion. We're, we're moved by that emotion. Sometimes we're moved positively. Sometimes we're moved negatively. But every time we talk about Jesus, there is this, there's emotion. Sometimes it's, it's whether, we're, whether we're, we're quizzical, whether it draws us in. Sometimes it repulses us. We move on in chapter 5 and we see some real venom towards Jesus. At one point, uh, there's a, a, a blind man. He, he finds that Jesus is, is coming, a, a lame man, I'm sorry, he finds that Jesus is coming and, and he lays himself prostrate on the ground. He doesn't even know Jesus. He's not even close to him. He lays himself on the ground. He's begging, Jesus, Jesus, please come heal me. He's begging Jesus. There's emotion there. Again, we go on a little bit and we find this this venom, Jesus begins to heal people and the, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the, of the religious law, and they don't, they don't know what to, to do with this stuff. As a matter of fact, at one point they say, well, who does he think he is? What well, is teaching's blasphemy. He can't do that. Jesus heals a man in chapter 5 and verse 26, and everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God exclaiming, we've seen amazing things today. Can you imagine... 
Can you imagine being there, watching Jesus walk around? I mean, I can only imagine, man. I'm going to want to tag around. Just, I want to be just a little bit behind. Maybe I want to get closer because I want to see what's going to happen next. And some of it was good and some of it was bad. Demons were terrified. People got angry. You don't have to trust me. Matter of fact, I'd recommend that you don't trust me. Go ahead and read it for yourself. Demons are screaming. Religious people are angry. The enemies of Jesus are so filled with rage. At one point, Jesus is teaching, and they're so filled with rage that he's teaching apparently next to a cliff, and they're so angry with him that they charge him. You've got to let your mind just grab a hold of some of these things. Pretend you're reading a movie script. They're so angry they charge him, and he walks right through the crowd. They're mad. They're trying to push him over the cliff, and he walks right through them. And he gets on the other side. And this isn't like Frodo. I mean, he's not putting on a ring and showing up at the other, invisible and shows up on the other side. He just walked through the crowd. They couldn't even figure out who he was. But man, they're mad. Have you ever been mad at somebody and not know why or not know? I mean, you're just infuriated. They're just so mad, I'm just going to throw him off a cliff. How come? I don't know, because he wants to. So I'm going to do well, who are you looking for? I don't know, but I see that guy going the other way. Maybe that's him. Yeah, maybe it is. People were confused by Jesus. Lots of times people are confused by Jesus. You ever been confused by Jesus? Have you ever felt God moving you in a direction and you're like, God, I don't know. That's not, that, I don't know if I really want to go that way. Have you ever read through his word and his word says, don't do that, and you go, but I really want to do that. It can cause some emotion inside of you like, but I want to do that. Jesus causes emotion. His enemies are filled with rage. The disciples, the disciples, these are the followers of Jesus. They're confused. They're happy. They're thrilled. They're terrified. They're in awe. They're filled with wonder. They're filled with sorrow. They're filled with regret. They're filled with remorse. They're filled with joy. They're filled with peace. They've got this whole realm of emotions that just want to overwhelm them. So we read in Luke 26, in verse 20, Jesus turned to his disciples. This is, this is peculiar. This is peculiar. This is how peculiar God is. Jesus says, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now. For you will be filled. You'll be satisfied. That, that verse 21 there in another translation says, those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness, you seek for God's righteousness, you're going to be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. And then he goes on, he says this, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man, because you follow me. You're going to be blessed when people say all kinds of mean, nasty, crazy, ornery things about you because you follow me. Well, why would anybody say crazy, mean, nasty, ornery things about me if I follow Jesus? Because Jesus elicits a lot of emotion. Your life, as you follow Christ, will elicit a lot of emotion. Then he goes on and he says, when that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. Woohoo! I'm still Barry's line. Woohoo! Leap for joy. For great is your the reward that awaits you in heaven. Remember all of the, remember 
their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What he's saying is when you choose to follow Jesus, people might not like you, but don't worry. They didn't like the prophets of old either. As a matter of fact, they beat them up. They, they left them for dead. Some of them they killed. Most of them they killed. If you think following after Jesus is like chasing butterflies and unicorns, you're wrong. It's not all butterflies and unicorns. As a matter of fact, there's going to be some people that don't like you at all. What, who does he think he is? Oh, oh, all of a sudden, you got Jesus, and now you're a, you're a Jesus little guy. Now you're just a churchy little guy, and everything, oh, everything's good in your life. Sure, sure, yeah, we know. We know the real you. We know the foot's going to fall. We know it. We know it. You're just a jerk. You're just hiding out. You're just hiding out. You're using church as a crutch. Well, you know what? I got to tell you. I'll use Jesus as a crutch any day of the week because I need that crutch because I'm a sinner that's saved by grace, and there's nothing good inside of me. There's nothing good inside of me. I've proven that over and over again. That was the setup. Are you ready for the message? Listen to this. This passage that has confused me or has caused me to step back for years, caused pause in my life. Every time I read it, I just think, I get the first half of it, but I don't understand the second half. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 33, says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. I get that part. Turn on the light, man. You don't light a light and then put a dark hood over it. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it can light and be seen by all who enter the house. I get that. I understand that. Verse 34, this is Luke writing to his friend Theophilus about what Jesus said. Okay? Luke is quoting Jesus. Jesus said, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Then in verse 35 is my nemesis verse. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. Wait a minute. If you read that in another translation, and King James says, Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee is not darkness. NIV, see to it that the light within you is not darkness. And then they both go on to say, Because if that, if the light in you is darkness, how great that darkness is. And it's always confused me. How can light be darkness, God? How can light be darkness? Make sure that the light. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you're filled with light, there's no dark corners. Then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Jesus, uh, Luke relays to Theophilus these words of Jesus. Make sure that the light that you have, do you realize that there are people, and this is how it just struck me, this week, that there are people all throughout our world, people all around us, that promote darkness on a daily basis and they promote that darkness as light. Hear me, hear me. In the United States, we have aborted 60-some million babies in the name of freedom of choice. 
And people will stand up and they will rant and rave. This is freedom. This is freedom. It's my body. I can do what I want. I can do what I want. I can do what I want. And yet, it's murder. According to Scripture, that is not light. Now, I'm here to tell you, if you have had an abortion or if you know somebody who's had an abortion, God is not here to condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. I believe God is love and I believe God forgives and I believe there is life for you. I believe there is hope. I believe there's even peace. You can lay down at night and not be terrified. You can lay down at light at night. But my point is that we can be deceived into the I remember when I was when I was a kid. You know, I I've shared my testimony before. I used to drink and party and run with the the, the, the crew and did all those you know, and, and back in the eighties the little motto was DSRNR, drug, sex, and rock and roll. Well, I was never very good with rock and roll, and the girls didn't do much around me either, so I was just the drugs guy. That's I was the one who was smoking the pot and getting high and doing all that stuff. And I just remember thinking, man, someday I'm going to be 21, and this is all going to be legal, and I can go out and do whatever. As a matter of fact, I remember when I began smoking in the house in front of my parents, how freeing that was, how liberal. I was 15 years old. I got caught smoking. And my dad, after my dad caught me and I feared desperately for my life for a few hours, he finally said, well, you might as well smoke in front of us. We know you're doing it otherwise. And so we started smoking in the house at 15, which I'd smack my kids today for that. I'd smack my grandkids for that. Just let them know that, okay? Let's get that out of the way now. That's on tape. Um, but I remember thinking how free I am, and I can preach that as light to my buddies. Man, you ought to come over, hang out at my place, because my mom and dad don't care. You're 15, and your mom and dad, they don't want you to smoke, and they're trying to keep you from smoking. But you come over to my place, and my mom and dad will let you smoke right in the living room with me. I'm preaching that as light. Was that really light? I thought I was free until I tried to quit. Hello? Right? Alcohol's great, man. You can drink all of you turn 21. You can drink all the booze you want. You just can't quit whenever you want to. Right? You get involved in illicit sex. You get involved in affairs. You get involved in all these other things. You think, I'm finally free to do that. And what you're really doing is you're stepping into a trap, and you can't stop even if you want to. Right? Jesus warns his disciples, and Luke then warns Theophilus. He says, you know, here's the deal. Make sure that the light that's in you is really light and that there's no darkness. We live in a world that wants to promote darkness all around us, right? 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 It ain't bad if you don't get caught. And even if you get caught, it might not be that bad. The Bible doesn't say it might not be that bad. The Bible says sin is sin, right? And we are afraid to declare that. The the point behind me sharing all of those verses on the front side of this is when we grow up and we begin to walk in the light, you're going to tick some people off. I just want you to know that. I want you to be aware of that right now. If you choose to walk in light in your life, you say, you know what? I got all these buddies. Man, we've been hanging around for the last six or seven years. I got these buddies, and we're, we're doing all this stuff, and we kind of we we go out, and we hang out, and we party when we want to, and, and we, we go down to the bar, and we hang out, and all of a sudden, I get Jesus in my life. 
and I'm going to go like this. Sorry, boys. And what's going to happen? You think they're going to go, oh, we're really glad for Tim. No? no? You're not going to say that? What do you say? What do you, he, oh, he's going to try and drag me back. Thanks. I'm finally free. Why? Because you're stuck in the pit. Go ahead and sit down. You guys are stuck in the pit. You're stuck in the muck. You're stuck in the mire. You don't want somebody to get set free. Not only that, I've kind of become a jerk. Because now I'm telling them they should come to church. Don't go to the bar. You should come to church with me. No, no, no. You should come to church with me. I got this Bible study, this really good Bible. You should come to this Bible study. I go to this thing called Celebrate Recovery. You're like, I don't want to recover. I like being in my slough. I like this swamp. I like this mire. If you stand up for Jesus, I'm here to tell you, you are going to elicit some emotion. Your family might like it. They might not like it. Your family might go, well, it's good. It's good to see you home on Friday nights, but gosh, do you have to be a jerk all the time? I mean, talking about Jesus, let it go. I actually had a lady that I worked with at one time, and uh, she was office personnel at, at, at American Linen, and her son was, a, was just, I, there's no other way to say it, he was just a, just a hellion. He was just, a, he just, he was just, He's in trouble constantly. He's in jail. So when he's in jail, he gets into this, this treatment group, and, and it's a church group, and he accepts Jesus. And man, she's excited. I mean, she is excited because she goes to church at least four times a year and maybe more if there's a wedding or a funeral. And she is excited. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. Well, he hooks up with a friend of mine, and the next thing you know, they're doing jail ministry. And they're not doing jail ministry like once every six months. Like it's like every week they're doing jail ministry. And then he's going to Bible study. And then he's going to church every Sunday. And now he's talking to her about the Bible. And she comes into my office one day, like my office is a block away on the other end of the building. She comes into my office. She's like, I just have to ask you, does everybody have to get so crazy when they find this Jesus thing? <laughs> well, maybe we ought to. Maybe we ought to. The Bible says we're peculiar. Does that mean you're weird? Sometimes. Does it mean you have to be a jerk? No, it shouldn't be a jerk. As a matter of fact, maybe people should experience some love and some acceptance and some care from you that they've never, they don't even know how to take it. And unspeakable joy. Well, there's, there's that. I probably set him up for that. Hey, it's probably my fault. When this happens, be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. People are going to get upset with you. That's okay because you're just different. You've chosen to walk a different path. You were in the kingdom of dark. And once you were born again, once, you, once that darkness that you preach, you realize that we can be so, so goofy about, about darkness, there's a passage here, and we haven't read it yet because you're not in the book of Acts yet, but I on occasion read ahead. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, P, uh, uh, Stephen. Stephen is talking, he's preaching, and he's talking to these religious leaders, and he said, you stubborn people. You're heathen at heart. You're death to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. And they killed him. And he goes on, this goes on for a little while, and all of a sudden they drag him, uh, 
Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They didn't like the truth. You know, it's like a little kid. La, 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 la. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. That's what they were doing. They put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. And they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid him at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul became Paul afterwards. After he ran into Jesus, he became Paul. But his name at this point was Saul. And the darkness in his eye was so dark, he was so convinced that what he was doing was good that they stoned Stephen. And as they did, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. The darkness in his eye was so dark, and he saw it as light. He saw that he was protecting the church. He saw that he was protecting Israel. He saw that this guy was was crazy, and nobody could go after him. And I'm telling you, I'm here to tell you that there are people in our community, people in our world, maybe even us, sometimes we're so convinced about a darkness as being light, but we're not gauging it against anything. It's just my own personal feelings. I just really feel this way. We should all be free to do this. What right do you have to tell me? I don't have any right, but God's word has a right because he's the one who created you. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. God was the one who created this whole thing. He's the one who laid out the entire plan. He's given us a way of salvation. Listen to what, uh, oh man, I don't even know where my at my notes. Forgive me. Let me read this in, in just, just listen to this, okay? I'm not gonna put this up on the screen. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. It's his second letter, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. Paul, now this was that same Saul that was at that stoning. Saul accepts Jesus, and God says, I'm gonna change your plan. I'm gonna change your purpose. I'm gonna change your call, so I'm gonna change your name. We're gonna give you a new name. So, so Saul has now become Paul. Paul, years later, has developed a friendship with a young man by the name of Timothy. Timothy is a pastor. At this point in time, they think, that Timothy is pastoring a church of nearly 3,000 people. It's a big church. There's lots of chaos that's going on. Listen to what Paul writes to his friend. But mark this, Paul says to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not lovers of God, of good. They'll be treacherous and rash and conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness. In other words, they stand up in the community. They appear to have light, but they deny its, his power. Have nothing to do with such people. Does that kind of sound like the days that we're in? I mean, like, He could have written that to us. And he says, they're the kind who worm their way into homes and they gain control over gullible women who are are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desire, always learning but never able to know the knowledge of truth. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose truth. They do not want to hear the truth. The Bible calls it willful ignorance. 
We are willfully ignorant. Please don't tell me the truth about that. I don't want to know. Because I might have to change my ways. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as is the case in those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. Paul says, But you, however, you know about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, the persecutions that I've suffered. What kind of things have happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? What happened to me at Fargo? And what happened to me in Minneapolis? What happened to me in Duluth? And, I was, uh, and the persecution, persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord has rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, in fact, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. while evildoers and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look at this verse, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have heard and have become convinced of because you know those things from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. People have said to me, Pastor, why are we reading this? Because these scriptures can make you wise unto salvation. These scriptures will give you truth. When the world around us is going to hell in a handbasket, this is what we need to compare all that against and say, okay, God, what do you have for me in my life? How would you change me? How would you have me to change? I believe, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, if you let God's word get in you and begin turning and churning, there's going to be sins in your life that you just go, you know what? Nobody even said anything to me, but that is just wrong, and I got to stop doing that. I got to stop doing that. God, take that away from me. Take that away from me. Take that away from me. God, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Hang on to that because that's truth. And you'll have people in your life who go, come back down to the bar, come back down. Come on, hang on. We can just do another joint. Come on, let's, let's, just, let's just sniff another line. Come on, just, let's just, just come on. We, I, got some, I got some crack. Come on, let's just go. No, 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 no. I need to change. Something needs to change. God wants to change something in my life. And I know that you might not like it, but I don't care. See, that's what God wants to do. And, he, and Paul told Timothy, you know that truth because of what your mama taught you and what your grandma taught you, what you've seen in me and what you see in God's word. Stick by this. This is truth. I have a hard time forgiving. The Bible says you need to forgive. And if you don't forgive, God can't forgive you. And I don't want to forgive. You need to forgive. You need to let it go. You need to drop it. It's going to hold you in bondage. I don't want to forgive. Then you cannot be forgiven. Here's another thing that just blows me away. Jesus, at some point, during this, so I read it during this week, at some point, there's some man cries out from the crowd, and he says, Jesus, tell my brothers to divide my dad's inheritance with me. <laughs> Jesus says, what are you making me the judge for? And I'm sitting here as a preacher 2,000 years thinking, well, you kind of are the judge. And Jesus goes on, and what does he do? He teaches about our heart. 
He teaches about our heart. He gets to the point where he says, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He teaches about, uh, that's not what he teaches there. He te- he, what? Seek ye first, that's it. I didn't have it in my notes. What he teaches at the end of that is, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. You don't even have to worry about that. All of these things will be added unto you. It's given me a new perspective, even on shepherding. Unfortunately, y'all are going to feel some of that in the upcoming days. <laughs> but here's the point. If you follow Jesus, if you choose to take his word for what it is, if you choose to apply his word in your life, it's going to cause some struggles in your life. There are going to be some people that are upset about that. Some people are going to call you a, a Jesus freak. You know, oh, now you're just a goody-goody church guy. Oh, now you think you got Jesus. You're better than me. You'll get that. You'll get that. I can guarantee you, you will get that. And it's okay. Jesus said when that happens, go, Woohoo! Something must be sinking in inside of me. I must be doing something right because they just can't take it. Now, I'm not, telling, I'm not saying if you stand up and act like a jerk, somebody shouldn't call you out on it. They should. And you don't need to celebrate that. When you're showing love, when you're showing compassion, when you're walking the way that God would have you walk, when the light that's really in your eye is really light and it's not darkness, then there's going to be some difficulty. Man, rejoice that you're worthy of being persecuted with the Lord. Amen? Let's close in prayer. I did it. I didn't get that far. I'm not that far away today. I was closer than I was last week. Now, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to show you a video. I was there. You the, the last page of my notes that's this big on there. So, Lord, I just thank you again for your goodness. I thank you for your word. And as we look forward to next week, God, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to speak into our lives and to change us from the inside out through your word and through what we would call discipleship, following one another's, that that light comes inside of us And when it's really there, God, it is going to elicit some emotion. We know that, and we're prepared for it in Jesus' name. We have a little short video I'm going to ask you to watch. This is in preparation of next week. In his first book, Luke carefully recounted the story of Jesus, assuring his friend Theophilus in the heart of Rome that he could rely on what he'd been told. But a second, perhaps a more troubling question lingered. Was this story even for the likes of him? Theophilus was a Gentile. Jesus was a Jew. Not everyone welcomed the inclusion of Gentiles into the community of Jesus' followers. This question, whether to welcome Gentiles and under what conditions, was the defining issue for the earliest followers of Jesus. It hung in the air at their gatherings. It filled countless hours of debate. Much of the New Testament itself was occupied with this question, and that includes Luke's second volume, written to his friend Theophilus. The Book of Acts tells the story of the early church, how the message about Jesus spread out from Jerusalem across the Roman Empire, ultimately to Rome itself, where it reached Theophilus. 
In Luke's first volume, the story moves toward Jerusalem as Jesus makes his way to the center of Jewish life in order to lay down his life for the world. In Acts, the story progresses out from Jerusalem as the message about Jesus crashes through one barrier after another. First, at Pentecost, a key language barrier is demolished when Aramaic-speaking followers of Jesus welcome Greek speakers into their midst. Next, a regional barrier is broken when persecution forces believers from Jerusalem into neighboring territories. Then, a major religious and ethnic barrier comes crashing down as Gentiles begin putting their faith in a Jewish Messiah and a mostly Jewish church debates whether to welcome them. A key figure in this debate is a man named Paul. Once an adversary of the church, Paul has a dramatic encounter with the risen Jesus, who gives him a new identity and a radical new mission, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul travels far and wide, taking the message about Jesus into modern-day Turkey then Greece, and finally to Rome. As each barrier comes crashing down, Luke emphasizes two things. One, this is not the work of human hands. This is God's spirit on the move. And two, more and more people are experiencing new life as a result. So if you have uh, been part of the church in the past, we have your email. We're sending out email blasts to letting you know what we're on. If you have the, the book itself, um, there are every day. We'd, we'll start on day six then on Monday, um, and it gives you the, the pages that we're reading. I would encourage you to have conversations with people around you and immerse yourself in this thing. God bless you. Have yourself a great day.